and the official teaching of the Church of Rome. The comparison is between the Bible and this book, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is first-hand documentation, the official word of the Catholic Church, and it has been authenticated by the last Pope under Cardinal Ratzinger, who is the present Pope, is accepted worldwide as the official teaching of the Catholic Church. We call the paper, Thy Word is Truth. Everybody should have a copy of this. It hasn't been given out. Maybe it could be given out now. Or maybe we could, um, at least you should have one afterwards because to see exactly where I am going. It is divided into topics in the center and on the left hand we have the Bible verses and on the right hand side we have the teaching of the church. Now just before I get into that, a little summary of my own background. I grew up Irish uh, in Dublin, Ireland in a very devout Catholic family where we prayed to Mary the Rosary every evening where we prayed to the other saints, where we were highly devout in going to Mass, Communion and Confession. And I had all my education with the Jesuit Fathers, what we call primary and secondary education, secondary education you call high school. That was all with the Jesuits. And then I wanted to suffer so that I could one day be good enough, do penance, and go to purgatory and then into heaven. So I decided I wanted to be a priest because I wanted to give the sacraments to people, minister to them, and be a Catholic priest. I went and studied for eight years to be a priest. I bought a Bible before going into the seminary thinking we were going to study the Bible. We did not study the Bible as such. The first year was all devotions, a devotional year of religious exercises, the next three years was studying philosophy of Aristotle, a pagan, 300 years before Christ, and other philosophers. And then four years of theology. As a minor, we, we, we uh, studied some of the introductions to some of the books of the Bible, and we criticized the Bible in higher criticism. We did not study the Bible as such. I was named a priest in 1963. And because I did so well in my studies, I qualified to go to the city of Rome itself, to the most famous university, the Angelicum, where I graduated in 64. And then I was sent to the mission field, Trinidad, West Indies, where I was going to serve another 21 years as a parish priest, ministering to people. So I was able to see firsthand giving people absolution year after year, baptizing babies and doing all the rituals like anointing the sick. I could see that people were not getting any better and it was really disastrous because I was very sincere. I had done horrendous penances, sufferings to make myself right with God such as having cold showers in the dead of winter in Ireland and beating myself with a little whip to, you know, to feel pain, walking with stones in my shoes and other penances. And I had always been highly devout. 
but nothing worked. Sarkman's did not deliver. I had an accident in 72. And for 14 years I contrasted the Bible to Catholicism. Then I got convicted that truly I was dead in sin. I cried out to God. I was saved in 1985 and um, I came to the States in 1986 and by God's grace um, later on in 86 I got married and I went to China for a year and served there uh, at the year of Tiananmen Square. It was a most dramatic year and I saw people come to the Lord. It was just wonderful to have a Bible and to be able to preach the true gospel, not having robes anymore, but to see really the power of God. It was just a wonderful year. Came back, went to Bible college, and then I started the ministry that I now have, Green Beacon, and I praise God. And we have some great workers with us, such as Greg Bentley, who's a, a co-worker in the ministry of the Lord. I'd ask that you would encourage him, because he makes it possible that our presentations go out on television in many different cities so we just praise God for that so this is a chart with the comparison and what I was basically doing in those 14 years the first is the Bible itself you had a question for uh, I, I, I didn't uh, the question is how did I present to the parish I went and told the people of the parish that they, should, they were not to confess to me they confessed their sins to God and I wouldn't have any statues and I you know, wouldn't have people pray to Mary I, that's the way I did it I didn't say uh, I'm now leaving the church you know, I, it took me two months before I actually left Please read my story, you know, from Tradition to Truth, the priest story. I tell it all in that, and it's also online. This is just a, an overview of my story, but thank you for the question. The uh, topic is, first of all, the basis of truth, and that is the difference between the Bible and what the Catholic Church says is the absolute. Christ Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. You reach an ultimate source that cannot be gainsaid, it cannot be contradicted, it is absolute truth, cannot be broken. It is not hearsay, it is what is written down. The written word of God cannot be broken. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. God's word not simply contains truth, it is truth. So Christ Jesus explicitly clear. The Apostle Paul speaks many times of Scripture and he says in one of his conclusions that he might learn in us not to think above what is written. Our thoughts are not to go beyond the written word of God. Proverbs, the commandments, add thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee or thou be found a liar. And the last commandment in the Bible not to add or subtract from the Bible. And all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And you all know that verse by heart, don't you? It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for all good works, absolutely sufficient. And the 
result was that Christ Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they were making the word of God of none effect. They equally loved their tradition. And Christ Jesus took a real strong line with the Pharisees because they were taking away the very basis where people could see the truth of God. They were teaching the doctrines of men in place of the doctrines of God because of their tradition. And so it is a very serious topic. What does the Catholic Church say in their official teaching? Paragraph 80. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate with one another. They say tradition, which they don't define, what is handed down, communicates with the written word of God. If you look at your Bible, it doesn't appear there's anything communicating with it. It's faith once delivered to the saints. It is finished work, not communicating with anything, but that's what they say. And then they go on in the following paragraph, the bracket is their own, and holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Now we have holy tradition transmitting the word of God. That is the office of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit transmitted the word of God. And it was the role of the Holy Spirit to convict using the word and to transmit the word. It's not the office of any tradition that comes from any church. It is the divine role of the Holy Spirit. There final conclusion is in paragraph 82 as a result the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the holy scriptures alone both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence you are equally to love and reverence tradition as you do the written word of God as I said before this is like a man saying to his wife, well, I love you, honey, I have reverence and devotion to you, and I also have equal love and reverence for my secretary. You know, what would the wife think of that type of husband? You cannot put anything on the same level as your love for your wife. You do not love equally anybody in that way. Similarly, the love that you have for the written word of God you cannot equally love anything else. And tradition, they don't define it, but it's, when they quote it, it quotes the, the quote from 35 volumes of Greek and Latin Fathers, 35 volumes of decrees of popes and councils, and about 55 volumes of the sayings and doings of saints. That is not, there's nothing equal to the written word of God, and you do not love and reverence anything like the word of God. Now, cults tell you that they have other authorities, but they don't tell you that clearly. You know, the way international, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, all have other authority besides scripture. They all have their tradition. But they don't tell you up front. Catholic Church tells you up front that they do not accept scripture alone. That is the key aspect of any cult, that it's not Bible-based that there's another source. But the Catholic Church tells you bold-facedly. And so the Chuck Colson's, the Bill Brights, the J.I. Packers, the Oskinnesses, 
of the world um, who have said Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ should read the Catholic Catechism and say that somebody who is not a Bible believer that they believe the authority of Scripture alone cannot be a brother and sister in Christ. It's really sad. James Dobson and many others that's the same thing. Louis Palau, Billy Graham and on and on. People accepting Catholics and even on this first basis they do, they're not Bible believers. They do not accept the Bible only. And so, and they tell you, it's not as if they have hidden it. They tell you, you can, you can get this book online or you can purchase it anywhere you like. And it's not only this, but they claim that they have an infallible teacher. Paragraph 891, the Supreme Pontiff by virtue of his office possesses infallible teaching authority. The attribute of God, infallibility, by which God can speak inerrantly, is claimed for a man. And a man claims in doctrine of faith and morals to be infallible. Only God is infallible. And God cannot make another infallible being. It's an incommunicable attribute of God. But they are blasphemous enough to claim that a man has divine attribute of infallibility. So that is the Catholic Church's authority base. If the Pharisees love their tradition, how much more do these people love their tradition? And they tell you up front what their position is. Salvation is by grace alone. And that is wonderful in the scripture been justified freely by his grace through the redemption. The payment made was everything. It cost Christ everything. His whole life, his complete perfect sacrifice. But to the believer, it is absolutely free. That is the power of God, the graciousness of our God, justified freely, absolutely free. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Even the faith is God's gift. And the grace is God's gift. It's the gift of God, showing that our God is gracious. It is the abundance of grace, the, the gifts of righteousness. It's not of righteousness we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. And we could go on and on because it is God so loved the world. It's, it is initiated from God. It's the power of God to save dead men and women. Catholic Church sees grace differently. They define it as a help. Grace is the help God gives us to re- respond to our vocation becoming his adopted sons. It introduces us into the intimacy of the Trinitarian life. A help is something that you use. A man may have his black and decker tool that's a help to him in his workshop. A woman will have a frying pan or an iron to iron clothes. It's a help. She uses. Now grace is who our God is, our gracious God. It's not, he's not reduced to being a help so that you can respond, that you have good in you. There's no This is the meaning of grace. This is not a definition of grace. This is not grace in a biblical sense. And how does this grace work? Well, they tell you. Paragraph 1129. The church affirms that for believers, the sacrament 
of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. Sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit given by Christ and proper to each sacrament. Now, that says that it's necessary. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, extramunction, holy orders, and matrimony, the, the sacraments of the Catholic are necessary. So if you don't have them, you cannot be saved. So you have to have these seven rituals or physical things before you can be saved. Now, that is tying people to a system. Gospels, the scripture says it's the gospel is the power of God and not the salvation. Simply the gospel message. But they say no, it's seven physical signs. And then this outrageous statement that sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so serious? Because the strictest definition of blasphemy is to speak against the Holy Spirit. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit has committed the unpardonable sin. The worst sin in Scripture is to speak against the Spirit of truth who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And to say that your power that comes from your priests and your seven signs is the power of the Holy Spirit is direct speaking against the Holy Spirit. Now this was said in this way, first of all in 1994 when this catechism was published in English, 1992 that the Latin was published. And it was just around the same time that Catholicism was exposed throughout the world the immorality of the priesthood. It was the Boston Globe and the Dallas Morning News and other newspapers in the United States started to show the inner heart of how Catholicism has lived with the priests. And it was as if God said, enough is enough. You have committed the unpardonable sin. You have said that your power is the Holy Spirit's power. That is utter blasphemy. You cannot get a worse blasphemous statement than the claim that your power, when you're a priest, be he homosexual or a pedophile or an adulterer or a fornicator, when he says, I absolve you from all your sins in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that your sin is taken away. That his power, that that power is Holy Spirit power. And that is how serious it is. If your heart does not melt that you wish to give the good news everywhere you go to Catholics, I don't know what, know what would melt your heart. When people live under this teaching that they're going to get communication of the Spirit's power by the rituals that this church does. Now faith is the conduit by which we come in contact with the righteousness of Christ that is manifest. We come in contact with the finished work of Christ by believing on his finished work with the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith is the great gift by which we trust on Christ. The object of our faith is a person. It is believe on the Lord Jesus. It's a person. And it is 
believe on him and thou shalt be saved. It is given to us, as it says in Philippians 1.29, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. And this is abundantly clear that our faith is in a person and it's God-given. In the Catholic Church, they zoom in and define faith. Paragraph 168, it is the church that first believes and so bears, nourishes and sustains my faith. So you believe because of Holy Mother Church. This is not personal faith. The church is the one who bears and nourishes your faith. And then paragraph 169, salvation comes from God alone, but because we receive the life of faith through the church, she is our mother. So we have a mother who believes before you believe. And it goes on in paragraph 181, believing is an ecclesial act, it is a church act. The church's faith precedes, engenders, supports, and nourishes our faith. The church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. So if you don't have mother church, you cannot know God as your father. And if you have faith, it's because the church has engendered, given life to your faith. So Catholics basically believe in Christ because they believe in their church, what the church says about Christ. Christ is in the communion bread, Christ's power is in the sacraments, they believe what their church says. And so it is not faith in a person, it is faith in a system. And that's in your witnessing and reaching out to Catholics which I hope you do at the hairdresser at the bank and at the supermarket and wherever you go I trust you do it is a commandment of God you say we don't trust Christ we trust Christ as a person no church saves no church it is a person we look to Christ Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because we have people believing in a mother church. The sacrifice of Christ is the center of our faith because it's based on his one finished sacrifice that we believe. Jesus said it is finished on the cross, legally, absolutely finished. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty and high. We could go on and on. It's seven times in scripture that one sacrifice is said to be once. The Catholic Church says once, but then it defines it as to be also continuing. Paragraph 1368, in this divine sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in a non-bloody manner. He is offered. Those of you who were Catholics would remember the priest. I was, what I said, you know, every Mass, I would say, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice from your hand for all good and the good of all his church. Everybody would reply, I was offering sacrifice. They were 
participating in offering sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. We do not offer sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice was once offered. This is the absolute centerpiece of our faith that we believe in one complete, finished work and not a continuing Christ's suffering. The reason why we have to have Christ hanging on the cross behind the priest at every Mass and every Catholic church you see Christ hanging on the cross is to bring out this idea of him still suffering. He is still offering himself. Christ is glorified. He sits down in glory. He no longer offers himself. Now it's not only that Christ suffers, but the woman suffers with him. Look at the next quotation. The Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the church. The church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. With him, she is offered whole and entire. The woman is offered with the man. So it's not simply that Christ is offered, Holy Mother Church is suffering with him. She offers her sacrifices with his sacrifices. And so in many parts of the world, you have Christ hanging on the cross, and on the reverse side of the cross is a woman hanging. Now that's not Mary. People who don't understand Catholicism might think, but they have Mary on the other side of the cross. No, that's Holy Mother. Like if you go to Guatemala City, on the high altar is the figure of Christ, on the cross crucified and on the reverse side is the woman the woman is Holy Mother offering her sacrifices and her people together with Christ Holy Mother offers her head and with him she is offered it's the same in Poland and in other of the traditional Catholic countries where they depict this concept this official teaching is sometimes shown in artwork where the woman is on the reverse side of the cross suffering. But that's their mind. You offer your body and your blood with Christ's body and blood. The reason why I suffered as a priest was I was offering my sacrifices with him. I whispered into the ears of people dying of cancer and of other sicknesses, offer your sufferings with Christ so that you can save yourself and save the world. I did that with way over a thousand people under dying deathbeds and road accidents. Because I was teaching this doctrine that your suffering is part of Christ's suffering. Holy Mother Church suffers with Christ. It's a damnable teaching. Nobody suffers with Christ. He suffered alone, holy, harmless, undefiled, except from sinners, higher than the head. He was the only one qualified to suffer for salvation. So this is the Roman church idea that you can suffer for your sins. Turning the page, we have the teaching that is a major teaching in the scripture, the left-hand side. The topic is God is the only All-Holy One and the only source of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The only attribute of God that is mentioned three times because it is superlative. 
Other things are mentioned about God and ourselves twice. Verily, verily, I say to you, to emphasize great importance, but the uttermost importance is the holiness of God. Why? This separates God from all other being. His truth is holy, his justice is holy, his love is holy. As holy and the all-holy, he is separate from all evil. His eyes are too pure to behold iniquity. He is utterly perfect and utterly separated from everything that is any way evil. Therefore, the all-holy one, and the reason why Revelation says, Revelation 15:4, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, and all nations shall come and worship before thee. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none besides thee. There is none like this, because this is the distinctive attribute of who God is. God is the Spirit infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being wisdom, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. That is Spurgeon's definition number four in the Baptist Confession, the Baptist Catechism. I presume you all teach that to your children. That the, the Spurgeon Catechism, I suppose you have it. If you don't have it, uh, somebody to get in contact with me. But that is one of the definitions of who God is. But of that definition, it is the holiness that is most important. And we have to know the holiness of our God. But he does not share this with any creature. The Catholic Church does speak about God as being the All-Holy One. But in the Catechism, they come up with another one. Paragraph 2677. By asking Mary to pray for us, we acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners, and we address ourselves to the Mother of Mercy, the All-Holy One. That we have a creature who is the All-Holy One. Now this is shocking, and it's shocking sometimes to Catholics. I was... Um, lecturing at John MacArthur's church at a conference in 1997 and we had about 30 Catholics outside who were demonstrating and objecting to myself, some other priests, former priests and former Catholics, you know, at this conference. They were objecting to us being there. So I went out with this paper and I showed this to one young Catholic boy who was there demonstrating against us. And I said, read this and he read it and he said my church does not say that I said okay here's the book you see who it's written by this is your book open the paragraph I said read it he was really horrified he was in shock later on he went in and he counseled with John MacArthur and as far as we could see he was convicted of sin now that's hardball witnessing, you know, I mean, it's not always the way to witness. <laughs> but sometimes you've got to play hardball and sometimes you've got to show a Catholic just what their church teaches. I'm not recommending it only if the Holy Spirit leads you, because this is really strong. That a church could say this of any creature is horrendous. And sometimes you've got to let Catholics read their own teaching and it goes on it actually gets worse paragraph 2030 
for the Catholic Church, he, that is the baptized Catholic, learns the example of holiness and recognizes this model and source in the All-Holy Virgin Mary. Now the source of holiness is where we get justification, which is salvation, sanctification, and finally glorification in, in heaven. That's what is meant by holiness as we share it. The source of holiness is God. Because he only is holy, so he shares with us by convicting us, by which we are fit to stand in his presence, and then sanctifying us, and finally he would glorify us. He is the source of holiness. And they say Mary is the source of holiness. Utter blasphemy. And for the wonderful Bible believer Mary, utter insult to her person, who believes in Christ Jesus herself. That they would say this of her who was humble of heart and pointed to him, never pointed to herself as in any extraordinary way except that my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognized herself as a saved sinner. But um, this is utterly serious. Then we have the fact of one mediator the Catholic Church says there is not one, there is two. We read first of all the scripture. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we are saved. And we could go on and on many more verses. The scripture is explicit. There is only one way, one person, one mediator. The Catholic Church says, paragraph 969, taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of salvation. So she's in the business of saving people. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. Mediatrix is the English word for feminine mediator. So we have a masculine one and a feminine one. And so the Catholics have another mediator called a mediatrix. Now, this is totally denying what scripture says that there is one. They say, no, there are two. And one is Mary. They also call her the advocate, the helper, and the benefactress. These are titles of the Holy Spirit. Christ said there would be another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to plead for us and intercede for us. It's the role of the divine Holy Spirit. There would be another helper who leads you into all truth and benefactor who blesses and sanctifies us. These are titles of the Holy Spirit. And mediator is Christ's title. These are all divine titles. They don't belong to any human person. But the Catholic Church gives them to their Mary. And so this should melt your hearts that you want to reach out to people whose lives are centered on Mary. So it is quite difficult and quite horrendous. I did a whole paper on Mary. If you weren't here um, yesterday, you will find a copy of it at the Secretary Nancy has printed called the Immaculate Conception 
where I talk about the doctrine of Mary and I give some more details of the official Catholic teaching. I'd urge you to get a copy of that. It's also on our uh, internet web page. And so we have a statement that utterly and completely contradicts the Bible. Why do people support Chuck Colson and the Campus Crusade and the other ministries that say Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ? Why is it that we have breaking point you know, broadcast you know, on the internet and on radio stations? Why do people support these type of ministries who say that the people who hold this teaching are our brothers and sisters in Christ? We live in a day where Bible believers must stand up and be counted because there are few churches, very few churches, who are willing to make a stand. And very few churches are willing to see what is black and white. This is not hidden doctrine. This is a most uh, famous book and it's right across many of web pages you can find these teachings. It is out in the public you just have to read it. It's not like we're talking about some minute doctrine of the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons. This is out in the open. And still leading evangelicals saying, people who hold this doctrine are our brothers and sisters in Christ. James Dobson, a focus on the family, is another one who supports and has gone to visit the Pope recently with Chuck Colson. You know, to to show their honor and respect for the one who sits in Rome. So this is how serious these things are. Idolatry God hates. You shall not make any graven image and as it's explained in Deuteronomy 4, it's the likeness of anything divine. It's the people saw no, no likeness, no similitude. Therefore, to, to make no likeness of the divine. And that is what the Catholic Church says is not true. They put the first two commandments together, that's why they call it the first commandment. They say, paragraph 2132, the Christian veneration of images is not contrary to the first commandment, which prescribes idols. Okay, they're forbidden, they're prescribed. Indeed, the honor rendered to an image passes to its prototype. Whoever venerates an image venerates the person in it. Okay, it's not forbidden because you go through it to the prototype, to the person. That's exactly what Aaron did with the golden calf. He said, we're going to have a feast to the God of Israel. Exodus 32. They're going to worship the God of Israel by medium of the golden calf. They were still worshipping the true God, only they were using a graven image to go through to the true God. That's exactly what God hates. We're not to have mediums. We're not to have anything by which we picture him. Now this is a most serious topic. I wish I could go into details. I have a booklet out there on the table called Ignorance or Indifference, Idolatry in the, even, in the Christian Church. It's one of the most important papers I've ever written where I go into details the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God explicitly says we're not to make any graven image. 
and so we don't have any graven image of the Father, Son or Holy Spirit. In our day and in the last about 80 years in America, we've had a backsliding on this where we've had like Campus Crusade making the Jesus video and broadcasting it so that people look now not at a crucifix but a moving crucifix and they look into the eyes of Jesus to dedicate their lives a false gospel at the end and idolatry right the way through and this is accepted in some churches that call themselves biblical and we have of course what follows is Michelangelo's the father's touching Adam's finger we have the father and then TBN will give you a replica of the Holy Spirit so you get idolatry of all three persons accepted in the evangelical world which would never before been realized in the early history of Bible believers never been in any way countenanced but we have this compromise that has taken place in our own time and it is here that we have to stand as a church we will not compromise we will not have pictures of Jesus on the cover of our Bible flannel graphs and pictures of Jesus at Sunday school it's hard to get material that doesn't have pictures of Jesus if you don't know of any of these sources email me and I'll send them to you because there are Bible believing churches who are very conscious of this commandment and they wanted all their Sunday school material to be in line with the written word of God. Praise God. I discussed this with a group of independent Baptist pastors two years ago in New York. And I praise God for the solid stand of all those independent Baptist churches representing the Baptist churches all around New York City. I praise God that we have men and women in these Bible-believing churches standing strong because this is where our independent Baptist churches are really under attack. If Satan can get a foothold here, he has at least a toe in. <laughs> and we will not give him any room because this is idolatry and God hates it. The last subject is communion with the dead. I'll do this really quickly, but uh, how could you even start saying you commune with the dead? But that's Catholic words. In full consciousness of the communion of the whole mystical body of Jesus Christ, the Church and its pilgrim members from the earliest days of the Christian religion has honored with great respect the memory of the dead. Our prayer for them is capable not only of helping them but making their intercession for us effective. If two-way traffic, you can help them, they can help you. And the last quotation, we can and we should ask them to intercede for us in the whole world. You should talk to the dead because they can intercede for you and the whole world so it's necessary we do not talk to the dead in scripture you talk only to God and Jesus Christ you do not communicate spiritually that is the world of the occult so I really ask that your hearts melt before the old holy God I really plead with you to be evangelists I got a phone call from Michael Murphy in Maryland. He's a former Catholic. He said, Richard, do you witness in the express lane? And I said, Murphy, come off it. You know, the express lane is, you know, you, you, it's expressed. You know, he said, does go ye stop in the express lane? He said, I said, no, it doesn't. And then he told me how uh, about three weeks before that, in the express lane, he had witnessed to a Catholic young man who actually knew Bible verses when he witnessed to him then he told him, he said, you know, I'd be in seminary and then I married a Catholic and the diapers I'm buying here, 
on buying for a baby who's just been baptized. He went home with this man afterwards and the man got convicted and later on his wife. I was in the express lane in the supermarket. You know, and so when ladies, when you're at the hairdresser, young people, when you're at your computer and sending emails, and when, you know, we're in the bank, when we go any place, we give witness to our faith. I praise God for the people I've seen saved in daily witnessing. I'm not talking about door to door. And I think while I believe in door to door and do door to door, I think that daily witnessing is what the early church did when they went out. All the apostles, the people went out. It was daily witnessing. So I would really expect to hear good results as you daily witness. Praise God. Amen. Amen. He was with us yesterday, and because we are in a church history Sunday school class, there was two tapes, the second and the third hour that he spoke yesterday that everybody at Take Care Baptist Church History class should get. Um, one was on the Immaculate Conception. You mentioned that paper is out there. I'm surprised at how many non-Catholics think that that has to do with Jesus' birth. It doesn't. It's to do with Mary. Uh, so you might want to read that paper. The other one um, that he talked about was the mystique of the priesthood. You can get that paper and also the tape on that and how uh, the, the priest is so elevated. And as a Catholic, as a former Catholic, you know, we were taught all that. We had Mary way up high. We had the, You did not dare call our priest anything but Father. And if, he immediately would correct you. And I mean immediately. And uh, so but those, all the tapes are here. Those those were really good for the history of the church, because of the history of the Catholic Church. He mentioned some tracts. We bought 3,000, what every good Catholic should know. Use this up, but this is not the best one. He has a better one. You got that glossy one on you? Yeah, we want to get some of these, but we had some, but they're gone. But what every Catholic should know is actually a little bit better one. Uh, But we'll order more of those. And then, uh, but we have these out there. Take these and use these up first. There's 3,000 of them. Actually, about 1,000 of them went already yesterday. But use those up and then we'll get the other ones. All right, Brother Matt, we appreciate Just one, one other thing. Yes. We have a form, and Greg asked me to remind you. This is, if you want to get our newsletter, it's free. It comes out four times a year. Just sign up and you will get a free newsletter. Dominus Isus is a very important document because it's written by the present Pope. Ratzinger is now Benedict XVI, who I'll be talking about in the second service. He already wrote a document, and I analyze it on this, uh, this little booklet. It's on the table at just $3, and I would really recommend that you study that, because it's the present Pope, and it's his words. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-9663.